Welcome to Phone Messages, episode 188, That Mumble. My name is Paul Mason Foch. This week, I play message number five from Julia D'Amico. The message is 10 seconds long and comes from the spring of 1990. Here we go. Hey, Mr. Foch. On your answering machine. Um, actually, I was wondering, was that? Did you leave with like that message, that mumble? This is strange. Like, I don't remember anything about this. Like, I don't remember this message I left for you. I don't remember getting weird messages on my answering machine. Well, okay. So, what I want to ask yeah. you is, what do you remember the process was of writing a paper? Did you have a computer? I didn't have a computer through my entire undergraduate education, you know, so I would handwrite out all my papers and then I would type them out and I would use my trusty whiteout as I misspelled words or, you know, proofread and decided it was, you know, clunky now that I was seeing it typed on a page. Well, did you have your own typewriter? Yes, that I did have. My uncle, as a graduation gift from high school, bought me a typewriter to go to college. So that's why I had my own typewriter. And it had correction tape, but I didn't find my correction tape worked very well. So so if you mistype, if you typed something, technically you could back up and type white over the black letters to cover it up and then retype it. Um, I had a little screen where I could theoretically see things. I remember that. So so yeah, what the purpose of that was. Yeah, I really don't know. One of the unique things about University of Chicago was the common core. Do you remember your experience with the common core at all? I loved learning in that way and learning about a range of topics. And I loved the fact that all of us, like even if we were doing science or the humanities, were going to sort of have that two-year foundation in a range of subjects. Do you remember any of your classes or your professors from those common core classes there was this one guy who taught biology and this quarter was human sexuality and it was the easiest class you could imagine i mean it's like what is a vagina (laughs) wow why didn't i take that yeah you know it's funny so what i wound up doing for biology is because I took a I took a quarter off so that I could do Italian language in Italy, but I I wanted to graduate on time, so I went to summer school. So I did my biology in the summer school. You spent a quarter in in Italy. Yeah. So I took the winter quarter, and I went to Italy and on my own. I studied at Perugia in the foreign language program there. And then I just traveled and I traveled throughout all of Italy and through Sicily. Um, On that trip, I went back to the village or or the small town where my family was from. My uncle had gone and so I sort of just followed his instructions, but I didn't tell anyone I was gonna visit this town. This is a 5,000 person town. There's no train or bus that would go there. There's no tourists that go to a town like this. There's no hotel or something like that. In Termoli, I I got in a bus with these school children coming home and I rode to this town, which is called Santa Croce and it's in the mountains. And then I just get off the bus. So I am standing there and I just sort of sat down on the steps of a church 
and I was sort of trying to figure out, well, what do I do now? Like, and sort of looking around, I was like, well, I'll take the bus back, I guess. And this woman, I could see her sort of, you know, moving her car, moving, you know, driving her car. And all of a sudden she just stopped her car and got out and walked over to me and was, was like, who are you? What are you doing here? And she was very friendly about it, but you could tell she was like, what? is going on you know why are you here and then there was like the cleaner for the town the town is very clean and very immaculate and there's a cleaner and sort of he came over and got kind of involved and sort of i explained my situation they were like oh okay and so they walked me both the cleaner and this nice woman who i don't even know her name walked me to the town hall where i could look up my relatives to find them and so i was looking through all these documents and so i was like okay you know so i was looking through documents for relatives and that was kind of my day you know and then i sort of walked around and then i took the bus back and it turned out we have cousins there who i've since gone back and actually spent time with but of course they had heard about this story of me like just showing up and wandering or this american girl showing up wandering around this town like going through records, you know, and then leaving. Julia's beautiful story of visiting her ancestral Italian village needs no comment. Instead, let me discuss the technology of paper writing during her college years. The 1980s was probably the last decade when most college students still relied on a typewriter. The latest statistics for typewriter ownership I could find come from 1988, when one survey found 41.3% of college students had their own. Computer ownership among college students went from 18% in 1990 to 82% in 2000. And throughout the decade, computer labs made the technology increasingly accessible to students who lacked their own device. During my time as an undergraduate, from 83 to 87, I can recall only one person who had a computer. I wrote my papers using a portable typewriter, which at some point I acquired for $100. I can't remember now whether it was electric or manual. Before I had my own, I imagine I would borrow somebody else's machine. The other option was to hire a typist. You could find index cards pinned to bulletin boards by fellow students indicating how much per word they would charge. The typewriter Julia received as a graduation gift in 1987 reveals how these machines were beginning to include word processing elements in them. In fact, 1987 was the year IBM stopped making its innovative Selectric typewriter, which used a rotating type ball instead of the lever-like type bars that could sometimes become stuck if punched too close together. The new breed of machines were electronic, meaning they had built-in computer memory. This allowed users to type out and correct text on an LCD screen before it was printed. 
1987 ad in Newsweek for the Canon AP800 even shows a mini computer screen attached behind the carriage. The cost of one of these more elaborate setups could be over $1,000, which was not much less than a PC at the time. A more modest machine of the type Julia had was significantly cheaper. A newspaper ad from 1987 lists a brother portable electronic typewriter with 15-character LCD display on sale for only $134.98. Thanks in part to the enthusiasm of celebrities like Tom Hanks, typewriters have recently seen a revived popularity. But these are vintage typewriters, like a Smith Corona Skywriter or an Hermes 3000, which Larry McMurtry thanked after winning his 2006 Best Screenplay Golden Globe for Brokeback Mountain. In contrast, nobody is nostalgic for the electronic typewriters of the 1980s hundreds of which can be found online for under 50 bucks. If you have a dusty typewriter in the attic, contact me at pfoch.com. That's P-F-O-T-S-C-H dot com. Many thanks to Julia for her journey to Italy. And thank you for listening. Talk to you next week.